Science and Technology. And welcome to Steampunks. I'm your co-host, Emily Shock. And I'm Zachary Shock, your co-host, husband, and number one fan of Emily. Aww. <laughs> thank you. All right. Here we go. So, Zach, I need you to be cool. Aww. Are you ready? Ready? I just need you to be cool. Okay? Okay. I go low, you go high. Ready? Re- are you ready? No. Here we go. All you want to do is ride around the Earth, Sally. Ride, Sally, ride. We're talking about Sally Ride today. Woo! Woo! The first American woman in space. Check. The youngest person to ever be in space. Check. And the first LGBT person to ever be in space. And probably the coolest. And also probably the coolest, but I'm biased because I've always loved her. Sorry, Buzz. (laughs) Sorry, Buzz. Not nearly as cool as Sally. Sally has a song. Does she? Sally's name is similar to a song. <laughs> She's a little little young for that, huh? Yeah, I don't know when that song was written, but it was before this. Anywho, <laughs> let's get started learning about Sally Ride. Are you ready? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Born May 26th, 1951 in Encino, California... To her parents, Dale Burdell Ride and Carol Joyce Ride, nay Anderson, they were both teachers. So uh, jo- Joyce taught full time before mm. Sally was born, but after her and her sister were born, she stayed home to take care of the kids. But at the same time, also worked at her church, taught English to foreign students, and was a counselor in a women's jail. So a real renaissance woman. Super renaissance. Uh, like I said, she had a little sister. Her name was Karen, but two-year-old Sally couldn't say Karen, so she called her Bear, and that name has stuck to this day. So why not Baron? <laughs> it's close enough. Baron ride. Nah. Nah. Bear's cooler. <laughs> she literally still goes by Bear, which I love. So uh, growing up, obviously, the daughter of two teachers, she loved to read. She would read anything and everything she got her hands on. Nancy Drew books, Mad Magazine, James Bond novels, science fiction, science fact in the form of <laughs> magazines. Uh, pictures. She, a little young. Oh, uh, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, and... By the age of five, she started reading the sports section and knew baseball statistics by heart. (laughs) (laughs) And part of that was because she loved sports. Sports ball. Sports ball. She was very good at it. Super duper good at it. Even better than the boys. Bat the ball into the hoop. (laughs) Get. Touchdown. Ball points. (laughs) But she was. She was better than all the boys. She was always picked first for the team. And when she was very little, you know, and you ask, like, the six-year-old, what are you going to be when you grow up? She would say either a quarterback at UCLA or a shortstop for the Dodgers. In her in her mind, and this carried 
throughout her life, it wasn't so much her rising above and being a woman that could do this. It's like, obviously, girls can do this. Like, yeah. Just, I'm a person who can do this. Yeah, and I just also happen to be a girl. Like, And it's great. When Sally was nine and her sister was seven, her father took a year off of work and they all traveled to Europe. They lived in Yugoslavia for a year where they had a dog. Parents tutored them the whole time. They were more than capable as two (laughs) good teachers. Uh, So when they got back to California a year later, Sally was way ahead of everyone else. So she was able to skip a grade. (laughs) Um, Bye, guys. Bye. She flew past them. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Her favorite subject was science. Her parents had a telescope and a toy chemistry set for the girls at home, and they were her two favorite toys to play with. (laughs) (laughs) When they got back to California, along with skipping a grade, uh, Sally's parents bought her a tennis racket, and she was really good at tennis. (laughs) Really, really good at tennis. Uh, She took lessons from Alice Marble, a famous tennis champion, And she won all kinds of tournaments and awards, and she was super good. All over the country, she would do these matches. And through tennis, she met Tam O'Shaughnessy, who was even better than Sally, if you can believe it. And they were friends forever, and also life partners. (laughs) Some of the older books, uh, written before Sally died, and therefore before Sally came out, Referred to them as, you know, just BFFs. It's great. Uh, well, Around all together, all the time. Gals being pals. You know, holding hands. No, just friend, really friendly stuff. We'll get to later why Sally didn't come out until she died. But so that's where she met Tam. Tennis, they were both great at it. So she won a tennis scholarship and was able to attend a private high school. The Westlake School for Girls near Beverly Hills. Suddenly she was among the elite. Her classmates were the children of Hollywood actors and actresses. And (laughs) she was just there to play tennis and learn some science. It was here that she met her favorite teacher of all time, Dr. Elizabeth Momertz, who really started getting Sally into the logic and reason that shaped the rest of her life, those logic skills. Really became her mom-ish. Momertz. No. (laughs) Sadly, Dr. Momertz did die before Sally became an astronaut, and she always wished that she could show her old science teacher all the cool things she was doing. (laughs) After high school, Sally went to Swarthmore College in Pennsylvania, It was an amazing school, both academically and sports-related. But the problems were that it was very far from home. Mm. Uh, No indoor courts at this college, so she could only play tennis in the warm months because it was Pennsylvania. Nine months. 50% of the reason she was there. Yeah, nine months out of the year it was snowing, so there was no tennis. Those were the only two things. So... (laughs) So she was getting really good at tennis, though, even only playing in the in the summer months. And she thought that maybe she wanted to do it professionally. You know, she wasn't really loving this school so much. So she dropped out in the middle of her sophomore year and came back to California, 
where she took some classes at UCLA, so she didn't fully drop out, but most of her time was spent focusing on tennis. So did the learning part at the one college, did the sporting part at the other. It's fine. (laughs) She did really well during this time where she was pursuing it at a more professional level. Uh, Billie Jean King, super famous, especially at that time, uh, tennis player, told her that she should just do it full-time. She was that good. Wow. But the thing is, to Sally, she was good, but she wasn't great. There were people who were better than her. And for Sally, it was go big or go home. (laughs) It was be the best at it, or what's the point? So she still played, but professionally she was done. She she quit and went back to school at UCLA full-time. Nah. (laughs) Well, actually, not UCLA full-time, Stanford full-time after Mm. she quit with the tennis. So it had perfect tennis weather because it was in California, nice and warm all year round, closer to home. And it had a great science program that she enrolled in. Uh, She majored in physics, but one of her friends was an English major. And so she was like, I'll try an English class. Why not? And (laughs) she loved it. Are English classes not required? I guess not in the 70s. (laughs) Or maybe it was like a higher level course. No. But because what she fell in love with in particular was reading Shakespeare. She thought of it like solving puzzles. You know, you had to figure out what this word meant and why you thought it meant that. And you had to find evidence in the text. And so, you know, there's steam live and in action right there. Yeah. Learning logic and reasoning through art, through theater. (laughs) So she double majored in it. By the time she graduated, she had a BS in physics and a BA in English. She stayed at Stanford for both her master's and her PhD. She ended up uh, with a PhD in astrophysics with her thesis on the interaction of X-rays within the interstellar medium. Fancy. Ooh. Did she get get it from Pink Floyd's album cover? (laughs) You know, probably. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to go ahead and say... Yes. Hmm. Don't sue me, Sally Rides people. (laughs) So she graduated. She got her PhD. Now what? Guess I better get a job. So she opens the newspaper to the want ads. And right there. There's a dart where it lands. (laughs) Nope. Not even that. Not even that much. She opened it and there was a big old print that said NASA looking for astronauts. It was time to start training for the new shuttle program. Hmm. In the past, with NASA, every astronaut needed to be a pilot. The The capsules were very small. Only one or two people could fit in them. So both of those people needed to know how to fly the thing. And with it being so early, the... Chances of needing both. Oh, yeah. No, you definitely need both. <laughs> um, and part of that was also that the pilots that they would hire had experience with dangerous missions. Okay. And there wasn't much more dangerous than going up into space. Kind of like World War II pilots or stuff like that. I assume... Maybe later. I'm not sure what... Or just like war missions. I yeah, guess, yeah. Yeah. Like like professional, done, dangerous stuff while flying. But they were starting a new program with the space shuttles. Now, the shuttles could hold six or seven astronauts at a time. 
So even if you still had the two pilots, that's five extra people you can bring that could be engineers, they could be doctors, uh, they can be, well, they could be anything. <laughs> yeah. You know, whoever wanted or needed to go up into space. Whatever they wanted to research at that point. Exactly. And, you know, this was right in the late 70s, so the women's movement was just getting started and raring, and NASA knew that they needed to include women in this search, too, so it pro prominently said in the ad, like, men and women, please apply. Dozens of newspapers across the country, including the one that Sally opened, they got 8,000 applications, 6,500 guys, 1,500 girls, and by October 1977, they chose 208 people to interview further, including Sally Ride. Woo! Wow, wow! She did it. She did. So she flew down to NASA headquarters in Houston, Texas, the Johnson Space Center, and started the week-long interview process. It included a physical exam. Just what? sitting in a chair across. Just, just waiting. <laughs> for a whole week. For a whole week, answering questions about what your favorite taco topping is and why. Do you see yourself in 10 years? And on the moon! That's why I'm here. Anyway, a physical exam was included. So hearing and vision test, running on a treadmill to track heart rate. Uh, one of the parts of it was spending time inside a tiny round fabric lined ball just for hours at a time to prove that she could handle enclosed, boring spaces. Yeah, what was the fabric? Um, probably just to make it more comfortable. I guess. <laughs> And it helped that she was only 5'5", five five because astronauts can't be too tall either, because mm. it's a small capsule. Hit your head on everything. <laughs> Ow. And in the anti-gravity, you're just going to go, ping, ow, ping, ow, oh, ping, no. ow. So you got to be short to go to space. <laughs> Personal interviews were also part of it. A lot of questions about her life, probably what her favorite taco topping was. <laughs> <laughs> What, what she liked to do in her free time. Uh, two psychiatrists interviewed her, and they had a real good cop, bad cop kind of situation going. <laughs> they one, were both cops? Yep, psychiatrist cops now. <laughs> but, you know, one was just, like, very sweet and asking her the questions and genuinely wanted to know, and the other one was like, are you crazy? Are you going to go crazy in space? Rah, rah. <laughs> I doubt he did that, but I don't know, maybe. Bad psychiatrist. I mean, I get it. <laughs> they, they were definitely looking for smart people, of course. Sally was definitely one of those. Tricky situations were her forte. The logic and reasoning from both her science degrees and her English degrees studying Shakespeare. She was the perfect specimen there. She was definitely a team player all of the years on various sports teams and <laughs> and tennis and even just playing with the neighborhood boys. Yeah. It showed that she was able to handle stuff like that. Because you know teenage boys are really hard to deal Super with. Super easy to work with. What are you talking about? <laughs> and a big part of it was that they needed her to be aware that, you know, you might train for five years and never go anywhere. And she was like, that's fine. I still want the job. I still want to do it. There's still a chance. You're telling me there's a chance. <laughs> So she finished out the week-long interview, said bye to her new friends, and returned to California and waited for months 
until January 1978 at very early in the morning because the guy calling forgot about time zones. <laughs> um, she got the call that she was one of NASA's 35 new astronauts. Nice. Hooray! Uh, July 1978 was when they started all their training, and they called themselves the 35 New Guys, or TFNGs, even though six of them were women. Those yeah, were a little non-inclusive. <laughs> it was the 70s. So yeah. these women were Anna Fisher, Shannon Lucid, Judith Resnick, Ray Sedon, Catherine Sullivan, and Sally Ride. So July 1978, they all head to Houston, and it's time to start training. What? They get there, and it's like rockets and flying immediately. And no, it was actually really boring for like a year. (laughs) Yeah, people think it's all glam. And She pretty much for a year sat at a desk and studied, which she was really good at. So it wasn't a problem for her. Uh, she needed to learn how the computers worked, how the electrical systems worked, the mechanical parts. She needed to know the job of every other possible astronaut that would be on there in case they got sick mid-flight. Yeah. They, she also needed to be able to do that. They needed to know how to fix anything that broke up there, because it's not like you can call a mechanic. <laughs> <laughs> can you send it, send one of your guys up? <laughs> cool. Cool, thanks. We'll wait. Also studied astronomy to be able to navigate by the stars if they needed to, uh, how to put on her spacesuit, how to survive in the water if it were to crash in the ocean, uh, first aid, all kinds of super fun stuff. For this first year, they were just called astronaut candidates. They were not full-on astronauts yet. And they all just sort of spent all their time together. They were They were a class... They were friends, they hung out, they ate pizza and drank beer, and even though it was a competition to get up to space first, they were all buds. It was a friendly competition. Yeah, you would have to be kind of a tight-knit crew. You don't want to go up there with someone you hate. Yeah. (laughs) You're in a very small box for a week at a time. (laughs) Gonna gossip about Tom over there. Oh, wait, he's like five feet away. Oh, awkward. (laughs) Uh, So after the book-studying was done, it was time to do more of that classic astronaut training that you think of. <laughs> they would parachute out of planes and scuba dive into cold water. They would spend time in a simulator, which is exactly what you think it is, like those ones at Six Flags, <laughs> <laughs> where it shakes you around and it turns you upside down and it, you, you're pretending to land and stuff. I really hope it was better. It might not have been. Yeah, 70s. It was the 70s. Ours might have been light years ahead what Sally was using. And she would spend eight hours a day in there if she could. She loved that part. (laughs) They were dropped into the ocean from 40 feet in the air and rescued by helicopter Hmm. to get ready for that situation. This one terrifies me. Strapped to a seat that zoomed along a track. And at some point, which was always random and different... You would be jettisoned from the chair <laughs> to practice being ejected in an emergency. I feel like any chance you get ejected, you get like a second of notice or something. Nope, you're just going. And dead. <laughs> oh, this one's terrible. Uh, they did things called drop and drags, where they were dropped in the water from a speeding boat while wearing their spacesuits and an open parachute that was still attached to the boat. 
So they're being dragged behind this very fast boat and they have to get out of their parachutes, haltered things, and their spacesuits so they could, like, swim and then swim to a very far away dock. Jesus. That was... Sally said that was the roughest one by far. Like, she thought she was going to die. Yeah. But it's all stuff you gotta prepare for because that could happen. Absolutely. (laughs) And then... Suits at least, like, floatable? I assume so. Yeah. I guess, like, the whole the whole thing with launching from Florida is that it's by the ocean. Yeah. So you gotta make it good for the water, right? Uh, the best part of training. The vomit comet. <laughs> it's a plane. It's just like a normal plane, just with no seats in it. Hmm. And it climbs through the sky in an arc. So at the top of the arc, before it dips down, you're weightless up there for like 30 seconds. Okay. And they took over a thousand dives in the Vomit Comet before being able to go up into space. And it's not called the Vomit Comet just for funsies. Especially for your first time. Yeah, it takes a while to get used to. But eventually it was just like an amusement park ride and I loved it. Another part of training was flying jets. Uh, They didn't have to be pilots, like we were saying. But Sally loved flying that jet so much that in her spare time, which there wasn't much of it because she trained for 60 hours a week. Jesus. (laughs) uh, She went and got her pilot's license. Hmm. So she was also a pilot. Because why not? She's Sally Ride. So August 1979, after a year-ish of training, Sally and the 35 new guys all became official astronauts. All of them did? All of them did. None of them went up to space yet, but they had the official title and everything. They were astronauts. They were no longer in... Well, they were constantly in training, but they were no longer (laughs) in training. The newbie training. The noobs. Sally's official position was a mission specialist, which is basically anyone on the shuttle that wasn't the pilot. Nah. Um, her particular job was to design a 50-foot-long robotic arm for the space shuttle. It was on the outside, obviously, and it would could reach into the cargo bay and get satellites and basically frisbee them off into orbit. <laughs> but it was her job to totally design and help the team build it. She worked really close with the with the outside company that built the arm. And became the best person on the team to use it, by far. It was her baby. I'd hope so. <laughs> so, after five years of waiting, you know, a year of training, and then four years of working on this arm and just generally getting ready for the possibility of going into space, yeah. she was chosen for a shuttle flight to be the mission specialist running the robot arm on its very first voyage. Woo! <laughs> Again, I'd I'd hope so, but... (laughs) You never know. So, during her training, one of the other 35 new guys, his name was Steve Hawley. And they got really close. They had a lot in common. They both liked sports. Uh, They both studied the stars. And they both wanted to be in space. I feel like two of those would have been pretty common across the whole class. (laughs) But you know what? It's fine. Uh, So, July 1982... So a few months after learning she was going up into space, but before doing it, Steve and Sally got married in a small private ceremony at his parents' home in Kansas. You know, as you know, 
her eventual permanent life partner was was Tam mm-hmm. O'Shaughnessy. I'm sure she loved Steve in her own way. Uh, she did get married in blue jeans and a rugby shirt. <laughs> And flew flew back to Houston the same day. So, (laughs) in out done. They were good friends. Yeah. And they got married. For sure. I've been talking for a long time. I think we should head on to breaks. But first we gotta decide what we gotta call the ads today. And also the rest of the episodes. The Flask Zone. Okay. Why? (laughs) Cuz. What about... The steamboat. Gotta get that money. Woo, woo. Because eventually we might have ads that, that pay us money. How about the alchemy lab? Okay, why? Because you can, like, trade other metals into gold. Okay. Is that is that be science I mean, alchemy is a science. It's just they don't really... <laughs> You know what? We're going to go with it. Let's go to the alchemy lab. Hi, I'm John. I'm Gabe. I'm Chris. We're three friends who went to college together. Hey, Gabe, did you know that Akira Kurosawa has a writing credit on Star Wars? I didn't know that. Good, because I made it up. I have one. The creator of the Frisbee made his ashes into a commemorative run of Frisbees. I don't believe you. That's 100% real, my dude. Them's the Facts, a show about fun facts and lying to your friends. Every other Wednesday. On the Pocket Podcast Network. And we're back. Woo. Boom. Ba, ba, ba. So June 18th, 1983. 36 years ago, today, the day we are recording, but not the day you are listening to this, because time takes time. <laughs> <laughs> Ba 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 ba! The big day. Sally Ride was going into outer space. That was it. That was what it sounded like. That was shot for shot, exact. <laughs> she arrives at the launch pad early, early, dark, still in the morning. Kennedy Space Center in Cape Canaveral, Florida. Mission Control is still in Houston. But like I said earlier, it's better to launch in Florida because it is good weather for most of the year. Yeah. And the rockets can fall into the ocean because the way a shuttle takes off is the main rockets lift it up there, get it close up to the atmosphere and slowly fall away so that it can get lighter and lighter, get another boost to get up into orbit. Yeah. And as they fall away, instead of falling into... A field in the middle of Texas. <laughs> they can fall. The cows. They can fall into the Atlantic Ocean. <laughs> so the crew on the Challenger was Bob Crippen, commander and pilot, Rick Hawk, pilot, number two, John Fabian, mission specialist, Norm Thagard, mission specialist and medical doctor. He was there to monitor him the whole week to see what happened to him. Yeah. And Sally Ride mission specialist. Ba, 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 ba. And with this historic day, she became, I will say it again, one, the first woman in space. Two, we would find out later to be the first LGBT person in space. And three, the youngest person in space ever at the age of 32. And being the first woman in space, 
NASA was not entirely sure what she needed for things. So they got the shuttle all packed up and they were like, all right, Sally, we got, you know, your sleeping bag. We got your change of clothes. We got your socks. We got a hundred tampons. Is that good? Did they just have a bag slung over their shoulder like That's Santa? so many tampons. <laughs> she was going to be up there a week. <laughs> and I don't even think she was, like, due for her period. But, you know, who knows what anti-gravity does. Yeah. But still a hundred? is so many. And they're she just, scientists. And they did. They asked. They were like, is that the proper amount? And she just said, that is not the proper amount. <laughs> So they pulled back on that, probably made the shuttle like 100 pounds lighter. <laughs> we got you 50. Is that the proper amount? <laughs> we got you 200? <laughs> <laughs> we're just going to keep we're going to keep shooting numbers. Eventually till... we'll get to the right one, right? We could just ask a woman, but why would we do that? <laughs> <laughs> we could ask you. No, no, it's fine. We'll figure it out. <laughs> so the team gets strapped into the shuttle. I- imagine, you know, a shuttle waiting for launch, sitting there. They are laying on their backs, facing the nose of the rocket. Yeah. Waiting to launch. So that once it goes flat on its belly like a like an airplane, then they'd be right side That's up. Right. Yeah. So they're, they get strapped in. They're facing up laying back, and they have to wait there for like an hour before liftoff happens. God. That would have killed me. So launch started at 7.33 a.m. The first 15 or 20 seconds, Sally was completely overwhelmed. It was all G-forces. It was all the excitement of what's happening. It was all noise and light and heat and... Sh- yeah. Sensory overload. So much. She's quoted as saying, every astronaut will tell you that launch is just spectacular, exciting, petrifying, terrifying, all those things. <laughs> so just all at once. Uh, she, from the G-forces, she couldn't move at all. And then the rocket stopped burning and started dropping away. The fuel tank dropped off and the shuttle was orbiting Earth. It took eight and a half minutes to get up there, so that's a long time to be under G-forces. Yeah. And then suddenly, gravity was gone. And they were all weightless. And it was awesome. <laughs> they all loved it. For the first few minutes before they did, like, astronaut stuff, they were just, like, spinning in circles and watching things float by. Mm-hmm. And, like, one of them threw a cookie at the other one and caught it in midair. And <laughs> they were having fun. I have this book. It's called Trailblazers. Poems of Exploration by Bobby Katz. And it has a poem in here about Sally that I would like to read at this juncture. If I may. There once was a lady from Cali. And her name, name surely was, was Sally. <laughs> <laughs> no. Okay. Here we go. So it says, the, the first American female astronaut describes the feeling of going beyond Earth's gravity and into space. Strapped in place, we check our gear. Liftoff time is growing near. The power units start to whir. The shuttle starts to shake. Countdown begins. Launch engines light. In a blazing trail, we rise in flight. The rockets fall as we streak towards space, while gravity presses at such a pace it begins to seem too much to stand. Then, as if a giant lifted his hand, we're weightless 
and the feelings grand cheesy <laughs> i like this book there's a couple more steampunks in here that i will be reading from as they happen sally launched a satellite using the robotic arm it went perfectly she also used the arm to take pictures both inside and outside of the shuttle like did she put a camera in its hand and i assume it was built in but i don't actually know <laughs> Uh, they also had an experiment on this one where they brought an ant farm up with them to see how ants would behave in zero gravity. Did they all have little helmets? I hope so. <laughs> little individually painted NASA ant helmets. Na- NASA. And the extra A is for ants. <laughs> But even while they were doing all these experiments, they were still being goofy in zero gravity, like, most of the time. Uh, you don't gotta be serious all the time. No, like, a lot of it was playing with their food, to be honest. Like, liquids, <laughs> you know, you squeeze Tang out of a pouch and it's just a little ball floating right in front of you. <laughs> uh, they would float, they would, like, grab a fork full of mac and cheese and, like, just let go of the fork right in front of their face and try and eat it without using their hands. <laughs> and floating peanuts across the cabin to each other to see if they could land it in each other's mouths. <laughs> Skill shot. <laughs> and along with playing along, they had to, like, you know, move around in space. Uh, she, she had to learn, Sally in particular, had a hard time pushing off the walls hard enough to get places, but not so hard that she would just bounce off the other wall. <laughs> <laughs> Also, putting on socks, you'd have to bend over very gently, because if you went too fast or too hard, you would start somersaulting. No. (laughs) And if you couldn't reach a wall and no one was there, you wouldn't be able to stop. (laughs) (laughs) Some say they're still spinning to this day. (laughs) And they only wore socks. They didn't wear shoes because they didn't want to accidentally, like, kick each other in the head and have it hurt real bad. Uh, There was no running water since... It would have just, like, sort of out of the faucet and yeah, just wouldn't really run. stayed there. So they had, like, a little water squirt gun. <laughs> and they would just squirt that onto a cloth and use that to wash their face and body. And to use the bathroom, Sally in particular, because, you know, she couldn't use a floating urinal like the guys could. Yeah. So every time she went to the bathroom, she strapped her legs down to the toilet to make sure she didn't float away. And then it was an air suction suction hose so that, you know, it wouldn't just, like, yeah. pull there. <laughs> Sucked it away, and then it was gone. Good. Day and night meant nothing. The They circled the Earth 16 times in 24 hours, so she could see the sunrise and set every 90 minutes. <laughs> so sleeping was just getting into a thin sleeping bag. And floating near a window because she liked to look at Earth while she slept. In particular, she was fascinated by how thin and fragile our atmosphere looks from space. It's literally just a little blue line. Hmm. And that little blue line separates us from being sucked into space. (laughs) And that always... She was very pro-environment, especially after that. Because she could literally see how fragile it was. It was right there in front of her face. And so that was that was their trip. A lot of science, a lot of fun times, and six days later, it was time to go home. Everything went perfectly on this trip. All of their experiments went exactly right. Nothing bad happened. 
it was a good flight all around. Awesome. They did have to clean up before they went home. <laughs> all their food messes. Any loose items. You can't items. let them know we did this. <laughs> Guys, clean up mom's home. Stick it all in the closet. <laughs> Anything that they left loose would have crashed down into them during re-entry, which would have hurt. And also, even like little tiny crumbs could gunk up the computers. So mm. they had to like once over everything with vacuums and stuff. It took two hours to get dressed for the return flight, and Sally could not find her boots. Oh, no. <laughs> so she almost had to just wear socks, but she found them just in time, so that's fine. <laughs> so they started re-entry, got in the atmosphere, and started gliding gently down, guided by computer and also the pilots, eventually, and landed on a runway in California going 200 miles per hour. Jesus. So a big old parachute, poosh. Slows them down, and they're back home. Not that they could do anything about it for like half an hour, because after a week in space, everything was heavy. Yeah. <laughs> they were dizzy. Their hearts were racing. They couldn't lift their arms or legs or anything. So they just sat there like limp noodles for half an hour before normal feeling got back. back to them. And they could like get up and not fall over. <laughs> And so that was that was Sally's first ride, you know, up up in the up in the Challenger, doing flips and stuff and mm-hmm. doing Front science. Food. And so now it was time for the press tour. Sally hated the press tour because she didn't want it to be a big deal that she was the first woman in space. Yeah, remember when she was a kid? It was like, no, I don't want to be the first female quarterback. I just want to be a quarterback. What mm-hmm. does it matter? Same deal here. Uh, Obviously, men and women were the same, so of course she went up there just like all the guys went up there. But the world didn't see it that way, and she had to kind of just go with it for a while. Mm. Um, That song, Mustang Sally, that we referenced at the beginning, it became popular again, obviously. Yeah. All you want to do is ride around Sally, ride Sally, ride. So ride Sally, ride t-shirts were printed up, and everyone was wearing them like, woo! Mm-hmm. When she came home. <laughs> and NASA sent her around the country to talk to TV reporters, newspapers, magazines. She was on Sesame Street. <laughs> um, Did she at least enjoy that? I don't know. If you look at the video, it doesn't look like she's having fun. <laughs> she hated the interviews. She was a very, 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 very private person. So on top of not wanting it just to be about her being a woman, she had to, like, talk about it. Yeah. So, she hated being treated. People would ask her, like, will you cry if things go wrong? She's like, no, I'll fix them. Yeah. Because I have a PhD in astrophysics and I'm an astronaut. (laughs) Uh, So after six months of touring, she was like, I'm done. I'm not doing this anymore. Yeah. Like, the end. And it was time to get ready for her next flight. Uh, Her husband went up on the Discovery in August of 1984. And she went up a few months later in October with another woman from the 35 New Guys, Catherine Sullivan. So it was two ladies on this flight. And actually, while they were talking, like, either for training or while they were up there, they discovered that they both went to first grade together. (laughs) And no one knew until they just, like, talked about, like, oh, yeah, I love Mrs. Jones. Oh, wait, my first grade teacher's name was Mrs. Jones. (laughs) Uh, Spent something in the corn. (laughs) This mission did not go as well. 
It wasn't bad. Yeah. But hinges on one of the satellites she was supposed to release were frozen. So yeah. she did not cry, but she asked the pilot to turn the ship towards the sun so that the light and heat would melt the hinges. Mm-hmm. It was fine. She let it go. Antenna stopped working. A radar panel wouldn't close. Kept on not crying. Used the robotic arm to fix the panel like it was made to do. Yeah. Uh, NASA hired her to be a problem solver. So she done solved the problems. Yeah. <laughs> and this time when she came back, the focus wasn't that she was a woman. I think it helped that, you know, once she had already done it before, there was another woman on this flight. So it was less of a novelty for her to be the only one there. So she was finally famous for being an astronaut, hmm. which she loved. Uh, and then some not great things happened. January 28th, 1986. Uh, Sally was driving to the Johnson Space Center in Houston while listening to news coverage of the Challenger, the ship she had been on twice. Yeah. It was it was going up again, this time with a with a teacher on board who trained for a year to become an astronaut. That was a huge uh, publicity thing. Yeah. And it exploded while trying to take off. Uh, the fuel tanks leaked, which huge burst of fire and smoke and the shuttle broke into just a million pieces. Everyone on board died immediately. And, you know, that was really hard on Sally. Even even, uh, Krista, the the teacher that Mm. was on there, even though she was only there for a year, she was close with her too. Yeah. She knew everyone on that, on that flight so well. They were her family and they were just gone. All shuttle missions after that were canceled until they could figure out what went wrong. Yeah. And and Ronald Reagan asked Sally to be on the team that helped figure that out. Wow. Uh, there were a lot of problems found. In particular, the O-rings on the rockets were faulty, which NASA was warned about mm. before the launch, but they had to do it then. So on top of being faulty, it was also really cold that day. It was January. And even though it's Florida, it can still get cold. Yeah. Um, which made them get hard and break even easier, which mm-hmm. caused it to leak and eventually caused the explosion. And Sally was so angry that NASA had been told about it and didn't do anything. Yeah. That, like, her friends were dead because of their inaction. So she was she was done flying missions, both because they were grounded for a while, but even after that, she was she was not going to do it again. Yeah, kind of refused. Yeah, just out of principle. And she wanted to go back to being a, a physicist, like she had trained to be. Mm-hmm. And there was a third reason: she divorced Steve in 1987 and started living full time with. Her partner, Tam. Hmm. No one knew about that, though, until after she died. It wasn't that she was ashamed, per se. She was just such a deeply private person. Yeah. Her, her, her sister, Bear, literally still goes by that. She's she's also gay and is a, is a minister who often gets arrested for being at protests and <laughs> is very, very much out loud and proud. And she would always talk about her sister, like, and that just wasn't Sally. 
It's just not who she was. She was private. She wanted her private life to be private. Yeah, it didn't matter to yeah. anything, kind of like being the first woman. Yeah, it didn't matter. It was fine. It was just her life, and that was how she lived it. Uh, she did work with NASA a little longer on the ride report. It was a report about safety in the space program going forward, what she thought needed to happen now after the, after the tragedy. And there were four things that she focused on. One, to send satellites into space and keep watch on the Earth and its environment. That thin blue line, she wanted satellites monitoring it. Mm-hmm. Two, send unmanned spacecraft to nearby planets like Mars. It takes too long at the moment to get people there. Yeah. Uh, three, the thought of would it be possible to create a permanent space station on the moon? And four... What would it take to send a manned mission to Mars? You know, work towards that goal. Yeah. And the most important recommendation she made was for NASA to have enough money for space travel to be as safe as possible. That has not happened yet. (laughs) We'll get there. I hope. So she turned in the ride report and resigned and went back to California. Moved in with Tam Started a new life as a professor. Hmm. And after this, her and Tam, both of their passions were in helping young kids, mostly girls, in becoming interested in STEM programs. Hey. STEAM didn't really get going until 2012 after she died. I'm sure she would have been very into it. (laughs) She would have loved this show, I am choosing to believe. Uh, She wrote... She and Tam wrote books for for children and girls about scientific fields that they could go into, created KidSat, which was a project where students from three different schools could come up with experiments that would go on shuttles in the future. Um, In 2001, she started Sally Ride Science, which more and more books were written, and, and Tam was also a director, and they created programs that would inspire young girls to hold on to their love for science and pursue scientific careers. Hmm. Love it. It's great. She was voted to the Astronaut Hall of Fame in 2003 and continued her work. On July 23, 2012, Sally Ride died at the age of 61 from pancreatic cancer, which nobody but her close friends and family knew she had. No, oh, her obituary came out and it was basically like Sally Ride died of pancreatic cancer and is survived by her partner Tam. And so people were like, wait, what? <laughs> and also, wait, what? And yeah, Tam continued on with their legacy, can, still does the Sally Ride program, the Sally Ride science, and just talks about her legacy. So yeah, that's Sally Ride. Awesome. First woman, first LGBT, youngest. And you know what? Just a cool astronaut who did cool astronaut things. <laughs> For sure. I want to be a cool astronaut. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we are a part of the Pocket Podcast Network, bringing quality content right to your pocket. Check out the other shows on the network, like Avocado Toast, Home Viewing, uh, Sorted is really good. Time zones are hard. Always has me laughing. <laughs> follow us at Steampunk's Pod on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, if you want to, you can follow me on Twitter at shock underscore awesome. Real easy. It's super easy and good. 
<laughs> and uh, thanks to the band The Crips for the use of their song Marie Curie for our intro and outro. Well, that's it. I'm Emily. And I'm Zach. And keep flying, you beautiful, majestic, steam powered horses. Pocket Podcast Network. Quality programming right to your pocket.